Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihi Jolly. Before we jump in today, a quick reminder that during the month of July, we're on a break and playing reruns of our most popular episodes from the archives. We'll be back with brand new episodes the first Wednesday in August. Today we're talking with LA-based actor Luca Manganaro, who shares his intertwined journey with acting and Buddhism, and the lessons he learned along the way. The key takeaway is this. What you do, especially if you're currently pursuing a big dream or goal that seems far away, isn't who you are. Who you are is based on what you practice every day of your life, how you show up in relationships, how you treat the people around you, and what you base your self-worth on. We cover a lot today, and Luca shares so many helpful insights for those who are new to Buddhism as well, so I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Here's Luca. So um, thank you for having me today. Uh, this is Luca Manganaro, and I'm in Los Angeles, and I'm an actor and writer and singer-songwriter and acting coach. So I'm a hyphenate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I understand. Um, and so how long have you been practicing SGA Nichiren Buddhism and when did you start? Yes, so I started as a guest at the end of 2005 and I joined, uh, received my Gohonzon. I'm sure you, you've been mentioning the scroll that you know we used to practice. And that was uh, April 1st, 2007. 2007? Okay, so it's been a while. Um, yeah, let's start with that story then. So, like, how did you get introduced to chanting Namyoho Rengekyo? Um, what was going on at the time? And, and why did you say, yes, I'll chant? Well, that's a funny story. So I guess I was seeking already because I, I was 21. And that was the first time of me living in Rome. I lived there to study and um, I was taking a walk in Rome by myself for the first time. Now you gotta understand in certain countries in Europe and Italy is one of those, um, you don't walk by yourself. Like you, if you're that age and you're just like sitting in a cafe by yourself, you just feel like a loser. So you always, even if you don't like the person you're with, you will look for someone to go someplace. You're not going to go by yourself. But that day I was like, I've been here for three years now and I never explored the city by myself. So I did. And then to be very, very honest, I just felt the urge to go to the restroom at some point. So I entered a cafe. <laughs> I bought some candies to justify my presence there. And then I just felt drawn to the cashier. And it was an afternoon and there was no one around really, just a, a customer, you know, every now and then. And I just, we just started talking. And at some point, she told me about Namyoho Rengekyo. And I was like, oh, okay. And then she asked for my number and... She really followed up and I remember all my resistance. I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to do something new. I don't care. And so I, yeah, in the end, I, I went to some meetings hmm. and then uh, I was still so like skeptical and I wouldn't chant. I was just there to listen and observe and find the flaw, but I couldn't really find a real flaw. Like everyone was just so sincere and 
So I just, you know, kept coming, but she really had to sweat to <laughs> make me give it a try. Like months went by. At some point I ghosted her. I remember I, um, and then, you know, about a month later, it turns out that the person living upstairs, this girl who was studying like, um, to become a doctor, uh, she was also a member of SGI. And I'm like, whoa, this is the second person in a few months. And she was just like, you should come check out the meetings here in the neighborhood. Why are you going like 30 minutes away? Of course, you are not motivated. I'm going to introduce you to people. And that's when I really started chanting. Yeah. How interesting, huh? So uh, just for context, um, how, did you grow up sort of practicing any religion strongly? Or like what sort of was your your view at the time that this new philosophy entered your life? Yes. So I, um, you know, Italy is a Catholic country in name, but, you know, the real religion is soccer there. But anyway, <laughs> that's what's practiced on Sundays. But uh, <laughs> but I uh, my parents uh, were really disappointed by um, their experience. Like they really gave a good chunk of their life to the church. And then because they were living together, but they wouldn't get married, they were really ostracized and pressurized into, I mean, pressured into getting married. And so that just turned them off. They were in their mid twenties. They did get married, but they were just done, done with the, just the judgment, the closed mindedness at that time. So they didn't baptize us, which is very common. Like you are born in Italy and you get baptized. Like it's not your choice. You, you're Catholic from day one. Right. Mm -hmm. But not for me, but when I was 10 years old, I, I decided myself to go and talk with the priest every Saturday and, and do the course and introduction to the religion so I could get baptized. And I went to the mountains when I was 16, 17, singing with these Catholic youth and all of that and just seeking for it to work. But yeah, I met some good people. But I by the time I met this Buddhism, I wasn't practicing um, Catholicism anymore. I see. Yeah. Understood. Okay. So, so this context is helpful. So at the time, you know, like usually from everyone I've interviewed, people I meet in the community, when we encounter Buddhism, ultimately we start practicing because there's something going on in our own life that we are either struggling with or curious about or, you know, seeking about. And so I, I know that you mentioned when we spoke on the phone that at that time, you know, you had some pretty serious health challenges. So as much as you're comfortable sharing, what was sort of going on in your life at the time? And then like, what what did you really start to, to chant about? And did you see any difference? Yes, yes, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, I mentioned my attempt with the Catholic approach, because I was really seeking a solution for this serious illness that I was born with. So I was born with um, the rarest illness of movement and, you know, nervous system. So um, to give you an example, I couldn't really um, move, like move my arms or move my legs or, you know, walk or lift something or shake a hand without the high risk of starting a convulsion or a spasm or however you want to call it, but a contraction of your muscles. So there's this extra energy that I always had trapped in my limbs and uh 
any movement could trigger this like 15, 20 seconds of just twisting my limbs until it's exhausted. And then it could happen again the next minute, minute. And it would actually happen, you know, on average, at least 100 times a day, whether I was by myself, just turning the pages of a book or, you know, while I'm studying, whatever, or especially with other people, because then there's the, you know, mental factor of knowing that it could happen. So, of course, it's a heightened pressure pressure and so you you know basically you contribute to the to your own stress and i tried every possible approach i mean i saw the best neurologists around the world i took their medications that they prescribed for me i for years you know and uh, i did all these exams they never found anything wrong per se in my body and i you know i did homeopathy i did um, therapy i did yoga meditation um, I did uh, even hypnosis, mm. um, but all of these things, of course, you know, uh, they are good approaches for other things in your life, right? Maybe you feel better mentally, but none of them really made a difference in my day-to-day life where life was hell. <laughs> Honestly, I was in prison. I was in the prison of my body. And to complicate that, my brother is a soccer player, so, you know, he could really move. And, uh, and so I was really feeling like, why me? You know, why was I born with this? But honestly, by the time I met this Buddhism, I didn't want to do it. Also because I was tired of trying things. I was tired of hoping that something would work and then get disappointed. And then to complicate that, I was trying to be an actor. So I, <laughs> even though my, I actually maybe because my body was the opposite of that dream. I was stubbornly pursuing it and going to, you know, acting classes and having a lot of spasms of, on stage and feeling like a failure, but still showing up. And I was studying for like film and I'm like, okay, maybe I'm going to be behind the scenes then if I cannot be in front of the camera. But uh, I was just like, you know, grappling with that challenge. So I... Yeah, so I was really frustrated. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh, it sounds very intense. So it was <laughs> when you finally then did start going to SGI Buddhist meetings and you started to try chanting. Did you chant specifically about this illness, or did you know, like, did it change in any way, or what were your sort of like early experience with chanting like? I can say in retrospect that what they say about chanting is so true that at first you are almost like opening a tap after many years of of this tap being unused. So at the beginning, the water would be rusty and like, uh, you know, not pure. So in that sense, I, as I started cleaning my karma, I, yeah, I, um, I really, my body just showed me signs of resistance. And I, I was just like not enjoying it particularly for a few months. But then... I met this girl from Portugal in London and uh, she was um, Buddhist and she was like, just like relentless. Once she found out what I had, she said, so you should fully try this practice, like fully, Mm -hmm. because if you try fully and with that, she meant really like join a district and receive your gohonzon and use this gohonzon, use the scroll that complements your practice in a way that you know you will know if it works or not and so she was really just like you have this 
problem and you don't fully try this Buddhism? I mean, what are you waiting for? It's been already a year and a half that you're in the orbit of it. What are you waiting for? You know? And so I promised her, okay, when I go back to Italy in two weeks, I will receive my gohons. And I did. And to be honest, from day one of chanting to my gohonzon, my body started to respond, like my illness started to change and it got worse for the first two months. It got so out of control that even speaking would trigger spasms. Then, um, but I was excited because my illness never got worse. So it never changed that pattern. So the pattern was changing and I'm like, whoa, I'm onto something here. Like this is doing something even though I feel worse. And then all this beautiful community of people around me in my district were just like, yeah, for me too, there's something to this resistance that the plane encounters, you know, when it takes off. And so I kept going and within, after two months, I started getting better. And then within a year, about a year, I healed myself to the point that, you know, today I have a spasm maybe like, one every once every two months, maybe. And I use it to encourage people. Like whenever I have it, I'm like, see what I told you is real. Cause they get scared. They're like, Oh my God, I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I like, Oh, you look like, you know, you need a help. I didn't know what to do. It's like, no, don't worry. Don't worry. This ends after 15, 20 seconds. But yeah, people just react. It looks a little bit like um, a seizure, but I'm not foaming and I'm not on the floor, but it other than that, it looks like that. And so people get scared. But mm-hmm. yeah, it just became something that's not in the forefront of my mind anymore. And I have a normal life. And and yes. Wow. So at 23, I uh, started to fully live. Mm. And, and what I actually discovered is that we are so attached to our problems. So actually, I always thought I would be happy when I don't have this. But actually... I wasn't happy. I was just, okay, I don't have this, but now I have a new set of problems, which is I don't have an excuse anymore. I can really be an actor now. Mm. What kind of actor do I believe in myself? Uh, is it true I just want to be a theater actor in a small town in Italy, or is my dream bigger than that? So, you know, I really used the chanting to dig deep. And two years later, I moved to New York and I started my American adventure because my dream is as big as America. So, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing. So, so basically what I'm hearing is that you... Um, by a pretty young age, had tried a lot of things to sort of overcome your very kind of mysterious relationship with your own health. And then chanting, finally, (laughs) I love the way that you put it sort of like, okay, it's not like suddenly you're so happy, but it's like, okay, what else now? Like, how do I tackle the next thing? I don't have this excuse anymore, which, you know, for I think many people, whether it's actually a health issue or it's just like a a way of living that you get very used to once that cloud sort of lifts from chanting whatever it looks like for someone it then it does become about okay so what do you want to challenge in your life like what do you do what do you what want to use this life for um so i'm i'm curious to hear how you approached it so you decided that it was america that you wanted to come and pursue acting in america right um and yeah like how did you use your practice to start to tackle kind of the next thing did you set goals or um yeah like just just tell me the story of kind of what steps you took I'm thinking from the perspective of someone who's like okay I I believe this works but I don't really know what to do first I have to say um before moving to New York you know I, I, I I practiced in Italy for two years and that was awesome and then but then in New York uh the organization really has a an incredible structure for the youth. So if 
if you are offered responsibility, leadership, and that means, you know, you you say, yes, I will support these young men in my case, right? Back then I was 25 when I moved. There's a lot to do. And for someone like me that before allowed himself some negative moments or periods that would last two or three weeks, depending on I just broke up with someone or, you know, I didn't get an audition. Then I allowed myself to just waste away days and be sad for days and be in a mood and play all these like melancholic songs and just feel sorry for myself, you know. Now I didn't have time for that. And that just made me grow leaps and bounds. So I have to say, you know, with this practice, it's not just about chanting, but it's also about taking action for others. Mm. And so there was a structure in place for me to maximize my life. So the 10 years that I spent in New York were an incredible uh, gym for my spirit, if you will. And so I just made so many causes for the benefit of others, which in turn, of course, benefited myself. So I became way more joyful, way more determined. And, you know, when I was telling someone, you can do it, you can achieve your dream, then I go back to my life and I'm like, yeah, I can do it too. And I should take action. And so, uh, yeah, within a year of being in New York, I had the incredible benefit, first of all, to find mystically, because I was going to go to another school to study. And then I ended up like three days after landing because of a friend of a friend. I went and checked out this acting school called uh, Susan Batson Studio. And she's like the acting coach of uh, Nicole Kidman for every movie and, you know, many more. You know, she coached Lady Gaga for the you know Oscar performance and just so many big names that she coaches. Right. And so she was teaching me to act but a year into it while I was taking action for others in the SGI while I found myself you know doing shifts at the center and just welcoming people greeting them supporting them a year into it this reflected in my personal life with her asking me to teach at the studio so I became the youngest teacher ever at the Susan Batson studio And I wound up teaching some actors that are very well known in Italy who were coming for a few weeks to New York to study with her. But then I was part of the faculty. So I was like sitting there. I'm younger than these famous actors. And I'm like, how did this happen? I mean, (laughs) three years ago, I could barely function as a human being and forget about my dream to become an actor, right? I can't even like walk with a friend without having a spasm for you know five minutes and then now not only don't you know do i not have this problem but i am deemed capable of teaching this very craft that seemed unattainable so that was mind-blowing so that became my main job for you know that following eight years and then you know to be honest i i felt comfortable at some point in it i wasn't really really being, you know, um, all out in my efforts with my acting. So in 2014, I realized that through this practice, you know, through hearing some people's experiences, their victories, I'm like, yeah, where's my victory now? I'm sitting on my laurels here, you know? And so I resting on my laurels. So I was like, okay, this year I'm going to book a movie. And that was the goal. And I chanted and and again, my body responded with the opposite of my wish at first. 
which is I got alopecia. So I developed all these patches on my beard and I look like sick, you know, so I had to shave every day. And but still, you could see see the different color, color of my, you know, because I'm pretty hairy Italian man. <laughs> and so so at first it's like, how am I going to book a movie? You know, but then I remember all the times that I determined something. It's actually a good sign when you get the resistance and when you get the obstacle right away it means you're really serious mm. about the result and then in fact yes uh, august came and even with the alopecia and everything i booked a movie which ended up being with uh, oscar winner susan sarandon and i have a role as big as hers in the movie so i was like it was a huge breakthrough it was a huge actual proof you know I, yes. So, so with that, you know, then I started my up and down, uh, relationship with the business because, you know, I didn't have a green card. And so, you know, if you don't have a green card, you, uh, as of the last few years, you don't really get a chance to be seen for TV and film anymore. Like, um, mm -hmm. every other visa, I had an artist visa, but every other visa gets ostracized in the last decade. And so it was tough. So I, you know, I, I, I started at the top with a movie and then, you know, I wound up uh, a year and a half later when the movie was actually released. Um, I found myself, you know, needing more money. Um, and I started working as a waiter. So the, the great typical Hollywood story is that <laughs> the, I went to the premiere, red carpet pictures. And the following morning at 7.15 a.m., I was uh, opening the restaurant for morning breakfast. So <laughs> it's not as glamorous as you think. To sustain a career is so hard. It mm. is. Yeah, I think I'm sure many people can relate <laughs> who are in that struggle as well. Um, in Yeah, in most of the arts. <laughs> but um, I see. Wow. Okay. It, so, I mean, it really sounds like you're saying... Um, it was like this kind of up and down journey. And I'm just wondering, um, you know, we, we envision success, even like not even specifically in terms of Buddhism, but I'm just thinking in society, people think like they view life as I'm going to do this thing and then I'm going to hustle until I make it and then I made it and I'm going to be happy. Right. Like that's the sort of, in a sense, false narrative that we grow up on. Um, and I, I'm just wondering, because I'm sure you sort of had to weather a lot of ups and downs internally sounds like you're saying financially and your health continued. Is there any sort of like um, concept from Buddhism or like how, what was your, how did you develop a philosophy on how to live every day with those kinds of ups and downs? Do you know what I mean? Because that's what real life feels like. <laughs> and yet you seem yes. so light about all of it. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, um, take the movie, right? So I'm on set with an Oscar winner, and, you know, I wake up the following day and it just feels like a dream, you know, but a dream meaning like as real as a dream. Like it doesn't really change your life. Anything is external. It doesn't really change your life. Honestly, just think about you 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It, sounds, it seems like a story. It's a story. We're creating all these stories, right? But reality is we can't allow those stories to define us. It's like, what are you living for right now? Where's your heart at? Where, what's your intention? Are you defining yourself through those stories? Am I an actor? I was very attached to that label. Mm. And, and so 
of course you suffer. Like even when you get a benefit like that, like you have, you get a movie and then you're like, where's my next thing? Where's my next thing? And then you don't get the next thing. And, and that movie becomes the opposite of a benefit because now it's squashing you. It becomes like a, almost like a joke. Like life is making fun of you. It gave you a, a taste of it to then bring you back to your mediocrity. You know, if you, you can turn everything into something negative, if that's where your life is at. And so I went through those ups and downs as well, you know, like, oh, maybe that was just a lucky strike. Maybe, you know, so like it, it goes back to your sense of worth, of self-worth. And if you don't have it strongly, then even benefits like this will actually, um, you know, destroy you. So with that good thing, again, I had the practice in place. And so I kept making causes, even when I don't feel it, I'm waking up in the morning and I'm, you know, I said I was going to go visit this young man and chant with him at 6.30 a.m. in Brooklyn. So let me, you know, get up and go, you know, and through these things, <laughs> through these things, I never sank. And little by little, I found my sense of purpose and um, the fact that before anything else, today I can say I am a disciple of this man. You know, that I'm sure you mentioned before, Daisaku Ikeda, who is our mm -hmm. mentor in this practice. And that is who I want to be. And I have a vow, a strong pledge that I made to my mentor that I will maximize my life. I will be happy and I will be fearless. And I will have this career as proof of this practice, but I'm not an actor anymore, first of all. Meaning, I am an actor more than ever because of this. <laughs> but my value doesn't depend anymore solely on these credits, which there have been many after. So, you know, when I moved to L.A., you know, uh, through the struggles. And at some point I started booking again and it was incredible. I wound up being in, you know, yet another project with an Oscar nominee this time, Ray Liotta, in a voiceover uh, mm -hmm. project where he's the narrator. And then, you know, I, I, I booked the audiobooks for Disney for the latest like Pixar movie. And I'm dropping these names and things just to show that these things are still happening. So I'm not... Um, Consoling myself or finding, you know, this, oh, I may not be that successful, so, but it doesn't matter. Success doesn't matter. I'm not saying this for that reason at all. Actually, I'm more successful than ever right now. I'm coming from like last month. I, I had, I booked two commercials and a movie where I have a very nice role. This movie is the sequel to another movie that's on Amazon. And, uh, and I, it was an incredible experience. And the director loved my work. And uh, seriousness, you know, and dedication to the point that he's talking about the third movie and he wants me to be one of the leads in it. So mm -hmm. all these things are happening. Or even like last week, I got to audition for a movie by David Fincher, who is one of the living legends, right? He's done <laughs> Benjamin Button and Fight Club and Seven and Social Network, movies that changed the history of cinema. And I got an audition. If it was me a few months ago, a year ago, I would be thinking about that audition every other minute. I would be checking my email, refresh, see if I got an, the audition, see if I got news, see if I got news. I did this audition a week ago 
I'm barely thinking about it because I am confident in my skin now through my practice. I'm a human being first. Mm. And as a human being, I want to be a disciple of Daisaku Ikeda, which means I want to care for others and be serious about my life and be confident, confident that these are the causes that will lead to the best future. So with that, you know, when you said people wait to become something so that they can really truly live, so they they can contribute to society. I meet so many artists Mm. that, and they say, I want to become famous, which already the word famous is already shows you're on the wrong track. I'm so sorry, but it's just so result oriented. You got to love this craft to be in it. You Mm -hmm. have to love it. Yeah, it has to be truly part of you and it can be result oriented, right? Because when you're playing someone else, Mm -hmm. we need to care about the story. We need to serve the story. We have to have this spirit, which is very Buddhist, to want to be in service of another human being, which Mm -hmm. is the guy you're playing. But anyway, I meet all these artists that are like, once I get to that place where I'm a serious regular, where I'm winning an Oscar, when I'm whatever, then I will do my charity. I will open a school in Zambia. I will, you know, do all these things, which sounds amazing. So, but then I said to them, okay, so ultimately you want to win in your career because you want to make a difference for others. Yes. Okay. So you want to ultimately make a difference for others. Yes. What are you doing on a daily basis for that? Uh, uh, and so, and so I'm like, uh, you can do it already. You know, you have to like defer your life to the moment when it's grandiose, which might never come. It might never come. And so what did you live for at that point? Right. And so that's, you know, that's where I feel this practice gives me a way to already embody that already make a difference today on a micro scale which makes tremendous difference you know and so when i was on set of course i was giving my all to the character and really be serious which gave results in terms of the director loving it but then in between i was just very concerned not concerned but very uh, dedicated to any to every human being that i got the chance to meet through the project so i really shared about buddhism with so many of them mm-hmm. You know, PA, uh, makeup artist, and all of that. And I always learn everyone's names. And I ask about their lives, and I care about that. And then we exchange numbers. And so I get to do what I love. And I also get to meet people and make a difference, you know. And so these two things will never be disjointed. But it took me years. And it took me, honestly, uh, to get to know who Sensei is, you know, Daisaku Ikeda and... How yeah. he he maximizes life. And, I, uh, I, yes. I wanted to actually follow up on exactly that. Um, because, yeah, what you're describing is so powerful. But, like, to get from where one might feel at this moment to that place of, like, okay, so life is going to be ups and downs. I'm going to pursue my dream, definitely. But I am not going to let myself be swayed or, like, play, uh, place too much sort of... Um, uh, of my identity in it and instead really focus on the people around me and like do what I can do now. Right. That's sort of where you are saying you've arrived. And then you pointed to two specific things that helped you get there, which is one sort of the, the structure and the support 
of practicing in a Buddhist community. And then second is really learning from a Buddhist mentor. But I want to unpack both of those two things a little bit for new people, if that's okay. So yes. we can start with um, with Ikeda. So of course, yeah, we you know quote Ikeda all the time. And many people who practice Nichiren Buddhism do view him as a mentor, um, which really just means, you know, reading his writings and striving to live based on them. But for you, like, was there a moment where you were like, I, I really want to dig into this or, you know, because not everybody has that experience, to be honest, right? And you don't have to, there's no requirement that he has to be your mentor. But I'd love to sort of understand that because it seems like such a, such a sort of light in, in your journey. And so, um, yeah, how did that happen? And what do you mean by that? Thank you. Thank you for asking. Um, to the benefit of everyone that might feel weird about the idea of a mentor, um, I didn't care about Ikeda Sensei for the first three years of my practice. So <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> it doesn't have to be in you or, you know what I mean? Every time I would, we would come to those topics, I'll be like, okay, whatever. But I like the people and the chanting did the miracle for me. So I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to go further. You know, I'm enjoying this and I didn't care. Right. But then one day I was in, um, Florida in this center that we have, the Florida Nature and Culture Center, where we do conferences and we deepen our faith in the SGI USA. And there they show this documentary called Traveler for Peace that shows uh, how did it happen that this Buddhism spread in this country in 1960. And it depicts um, the first trip that um, Daisaku Ikeda uh, had, you know, and he first came to America. And so through listening to these pioneer members' experiences, I just was like, a light bulb went on. And I'm like, wow, if this guy, Daisaku Ikeda, didn't stay, stay true to what he promised his, his own mentor, that he would travel the world and spread this philosophy, I would still be in Italy, very bitter with my illness, miles away from my dream to work as an actor, and let alone everything else that came after, right? I mean, this I can say now, but at that time, these were the areas that were majorly impacted by the fact that this one man cared about other people, and he walked the walk. And that's when I'm like, whoa, okay. For the first time, I feel a real connection. I'm directly connected to him and to what he did. Impacted me on the other side of the globe. So I want to learn more. So I started reading more, you know. And that's how you really find the connection with your mentor. And that's great to me. Like, you don't need to go see him. It's not about the human being per se. Him. Mm -hmm. He's a finite human being. He'll die. But... Those writings are eternal and those concepts come from his mentor. And what really convinces me the most about living my life based on mentor and disciple is that he is still talking about his mentor every single day. And he declared recently that everything that he is, he, it's because of his mentor. Mm. And it sounds extreme, but honestly, today that I have a two-year-old daughter and a functional family with a woman that I love 
that I could never, you know, that's another story, but you know, that's for another Buddhability another time. But I was, a, I was a mess with women and I created so much suffering and I was also, you know, suffer so much. But even when I challenged that aspect too, with my practice, I, through the years, I was able to fully transform it and change the karma of my own family because my parents are not exactly a great example of harmony. Mm. And so my love life, my family life, my health, my career, everything was impacted for the better by Daisaku Ikeda and his choices as a human being. And why did he choose to do that? It's because he had a mentor. And so that's how I arrived, not arrived, but that's how I stay in this relationship. And I decide that this is the basis of my life to really fully utilize who I am while I'm alive in this short span that we are alive, I can see that he maximized his life to the point of impacting millions of pe people around the globe. And that's what I want to do too. So that's why he's my mentor. There's no better example for me. I hope yeah. I broke it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, that's so helpful. Um, and I mean, you know, for those who are somewhat familiar with like the history of Buddhism at large, all of Buddhism is, is just stories of mentors and disciples over, you know, uh, thousands of years at this point that's just the you know how the religion even um came to be and was passed down um so it's it's but it's really like wonderful to be able to hear today how that's still relevant i completely relate definitely to and just having access to so many amazing writings that you can learn from like in your darkest moments and your happiest moments and your curious moments it's just amazing right so thank you for sharing that um and then you said one other thing, then this actually connects to the second thing I, I wanted to unpack a little, where I love the way that you put it, um, that you were positively impacted by the choices that he made as a human being, which is actually an incredible way to think about what the point of the community is. Like w the choices that we make in our day-to-day -day life are positively impacting the people around us. It's not rocket science, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, which uh, I never really thought of it that way. So I also wanted to ask... Um, you know, for those who are new, of course, the um, Buddhist community is entirely grassroots organized. So that's why everyone kind of um, volunteers to take on leadership or help organize meetings or study with each other and all of that, which is in and of itself awesome. But um, but for you specifically, I'm I'm just wondering, you know, from that like young man in his early 20s who just um, I imagine like how you felt about your life also impacted your relationship with people. And now you're this person who on set is like making it a point to learn everyone's name and just really connect heart to heart with everyone that you meet, which of course I know we learn in Buddhism. So all that said, you know, for someone who's new, like how would you describe what the purpose of the Buddhist community is and why we don't just like chant by yourself and set your goals and call it a day? You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Wow. You. <laughs> yes, you put it very beautifully. Because, um, you know, ultimately, we talk about living an enlightened life, right? So enlightened to what? To the oneness of self and environment. It's this Buddhist concept. So ultimately, enlightened people perceive that we're not separate from our environment. We ultimately are our environment, right? But so much uh, in the world is suffering because we don't perceive that. We we divide ourselves. We are divided in nations and, you know, ethnicities. And we already judge someone as different. But 
sometimes I think, you know, if I was an alien looking at planet Earth, I wouldn't think that anything on it would be separated, right? I mean, it's such a small little sphere in the universe, but yet in the small little spheres, we really do a good job dividing ourselves. And so uh, how do we make causes to awaken ourselves to the fact that we are one and, you know, in a sense, you know, Buddhism says everyone has been your father and mother and daughter and lover multiple times throughout history. And <laughs> when I, sometimes this concept really helps me, you know, at the DMV or something, you know, when I'm uh, in line and someone's behaving in a certain way or cutting through the line or, you know, the driver next to me here in LA. I'm like, oh, what if it's my dad? You know, I would embrace him with his flaws. And, and so, so, yeah, so with that, that's why if you don't do something on a daily basis for someone else and not just for someone else from a standpoint that almost leaves you feeling better than them, you know, like for me that, you know, if I'm like giving like money to someone that's begging for it, it's not necessarily the most value creating thing, even though, of course, you know, everyone's free to do what they want, but like they say, right? And it's commonplace, teach them how to fish. No, don't give them a fish. And so, you know, that keeps them, keeps people at a lower level of the chain, so to speak, where they're like depend on someone else to sustain themselves, right? In this organization, what we're helping to do is for people to change their lives based on their own inner power. So they don't, don't end up depending on you. It's not like I remember growing up, I was always trying to be a good friend to people. And I remember many of my friends would be like, oh, my God, I wish I had you every day here next to me. And that's telling, you know, because that say, says that they don't feel like they can make the change themselves. They need someone else to unravel whatever's going on in their life and give them good advice, which is OK. And we still do it to each other. But ultimately, when you're teaching someone to go back to their gohons and enchant and find it within themselves what they need, move the universe, bend the universe based on their own power, activate the change. When you're teaching them that, that is the best cause you can make. And of course, it comes back to you multiplied and you feel great, you know, because that's the best thing you can do for someone else. So, you know, when you decide to be part of districts and even just show your show up with your smile or even just show up, be part of the of this network of people that just want to win in life. That's a cause that comes back to you. And so if you instead decide to just chant on your own, isolate yourself, and then you're going against this truth that we are one, mm. that you're one with the universe. So it's not going to work out for you as well. Of course, you're mm. going to get some benefits, but it's almost like your car is not well oiled. It's like, yeah, there's some fuel that works, but you know, the transmission, something's just not as good, right? It's very hard otherwise to create a rhythm where you really genuinely care uh, for others on a daily basis and you do something for them that means like the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That makes sense. What you, What you're describing, I mean, the reason the show is called Bootability is because Everyone has this ability in their own life. And your job is to tap into your own bootability, not depend on other people. Though, of course, doing it alone is challenging. So having people to encourage you or to study together along the way goes so far. Um, so that's really helpful. Just one one final question on this. You also mentioned earlier, you know, when you were in New York during this sort of like 
10 year period of building your foundation as in your work, but also in your Buddhist practice, um, that there would be days where you'd like wake up early and go chant with somebody else, whether or not you really felt like it. And I'm just thinking, you know, from the perspective of someone who maybe has a really concrete dream that they're hustling towards right now, um, one would think I need to protect my time to work on my craft. I need to fo- I need to take other things out of my life and I need to just do the things to get me here in my career or whatever, it, you know, here financially. And in a sense, you know, we're adding to our plate by engaging in a Buddhist community <laughs> and, and taking time away from other things. And I, I'm just wondering how how you think about that or like how does you waking up and chanting with a friend, you know, impact what you're doing that day in your audition or at the restaurant you know you know what I mean I just in case someone's listening and they're like how do those things connect that's such a great question I struggled with this for many years and no one ever judged me for that you know and then I I could really take my time grappling with this own question and you know seeking and asking and keep going and chanting about it and seeing and then I can say this year is a breakthrough year for me with that because mm. I was basically a couple of years ago, um, there was this uh, leader that I went to and I, I was just seeking like, hey, I'm at a point right now where I need to break through in my career again. And then she, you know, because it was uh, actually a woman, you know, uh, that gave me this advice and she said, Everything is connected, right? So she brought me back to the theory, the, the, ba- the basic philosophy. So everything is a cause. So no, we have a karma. I'm sure you talked about it before, right? But in this Buddhism, we believe that we have a karma individually. The karma is not this what goes around comes around outside of you. It's your karma. It's almost like your soul, your basic energy, your this thing that will not be destroyed when you die. You can't escape it. <laughs> You're going to be reborn. <laughs> so you better work at it now, right? And it manifests in every area of your life. And you have good karma and bad karma. And good karma is something that, you know, um, you enjoy. And bad karma is something that makes you suffer. And so, you know, no one has a perfect karma, so to speak. So, you know, you can see it. Like maybe for my case, I didn't have a good health karma, right? And some people, you know, have a great career karma or a great, you know, and these things don't really exist, but we can, you have one karma, right? But sometimes we rationalize it this way. And we're like, okay, in my relationships, it's always the same pattern. Well, that's because you have a karma, right? I always meet the same people. That's because you have a karma. And so in my career, she told me, right, if it was your karma to be a working actor all the time, you would be seeing it already, right? You're in your 30s. So you don't have a good karma with that, right? So the question is, how do you change your karma? (laughs) And this practice teaches you to make these incredible causes based on this enlightened principle that we're all connected, right? So you make the best cause when you practice this Buddhism, when you chant Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. And, And then, of course, you also take action in the world. But with that life condition, you also in the world have the wisdom to... Do the right thing, reach out to the right person, take the right action, take the right workshop, you know, have the courage to send that email, all these things that set your career in motion. And so she said, you know, if you fight for the benefit of others, it's like you're growing and you are boosting your existence, right? So let's say that the benefit that you want in your career is this apple up there on the tree, right? 
And because of your karma, because of where you're at energetically, you just can't get to it, right? But when you do something for others and for yourself in your career and for others and for yourself, at some point you become tall enough where you grab it. And so it's all connected. It's all within your reach as a potential, but it's just not happening right now because you're not making enough causes. But if you keep making causes, you will definitely, and that's the truth. That's what's happening to me right now. Mm. And the beautiful part about it is it doesn't sway me. It doesn't take me to a world of greed where I want the next thing, the next thing. I know the next thing is coming. I'm in a place where I just want to keep making causes. And so, you know, for people that think that this takes time away from something else, um, no, this is like, um, this is the basic self-care that you can do to practice this Buddhism. And from that place, then you take care of everything else. So I would never sacrifice the time that I devote to myself and my highest self through this practice, you know, and just like you would never hopefully sacrifice a shower, right? You, you go into the world <laughs> having showered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's your right to do so. And, and so this is the same. This is the yeah. same. Yeah. That's an awesome analogy, actually. I, yeah, I had, I had never thought about it that way. Just like, you know, it's so easy to just look at point A and point B and be like, okay, I'm at point A, so I need to audition. I need to network. I need to blah, 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 blah. And then I get to point B. But then you forget that there's a human being on that journey and that human being grows and changes and like that's what we're investing in (laughs) along the way so that's a yeah you end up a different person when you get to point b which you need to be especially um i remember hearing hearing someone once share in a in a buddhist meeting also like you know if you could achieve your dream today how do you know that you're capable enough of handling that success like you have to also develop your character as a person and that comes from you know, working hard, but also being someone who can care about other people. Um, anyway, that was amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. Absolutely. And actually on that point, just to piggyback on what you just said, mm. honestly, I, I started with this big movie, right? And I wasn't ready for it. Meaning like mm. my life condition, I had to learn all these lessons in this past five years that of course, that movie kept me going, right? Gave me an incredible actual proof. And so you cannot forget that kind of stuff, right? But just to you know, to see where my life was at, I got the script for that movie a month before shooting. And I didn't touch it for three weeks. Like I didn't work on it for three weeks. It's almost like I was ignoring the reality that I booked that movie. Hmm. This time where I'm serious about my life and I'm, I learn all these lessons, you know, and how it goes up, up and down and how you really got to treasure the situation in front of you. Even though the day that I booked the movie, I was sent the script immediately. And that was also my uh, wedding anniversary day. And so um, I wasn't sure, you know, that my wife remembered, but she actually surprised me and she took me somewhere right after work when I picked her up. And so... I was a little buzzed, you know, by the end of that nice night at a restaurant. So I come back home at 10 p.m. and I have every possible excuse not to do what I set out to do when I didn't know I was not going to end up at dinner, right? Which was to read the script, the 120 pages today itself. And I did. I stayed up until past midnight and I finished the script 
So big difference from five years ago when my life wasn't able to handle the success to this. Like, yes, my life, it's never going to get easier. If we are living to coast, good luck. As you get older, your plate becomes fuller. I'm a father now. You know, I got, I live in a house, all these incredible benefits, but it comes with more challenges. And so the solution for me is never to just drop balls because then you make your life smaller. So these challenges are there because you can handle them. And this Mm -hmm. practice is there so you can enjoy the process. Yeah, that's incredible. So um, I just just to close my my final question that I always end with, and I feel like you've already shared so much, but you know, whatever comes to mind first, um, you know, if you had to give one piece of advice to someone listening who's new to Buddhism, um, but really, you know, honestly, I think is dealing with this like struggle of enjoying and being fulfilled by their daily life today, you know, because their eyes are set on something else like farther down the road. Um, what what advice would you give them? I um, thank you for that. First of all, thank you to uh, anyone that's listening, like seriously. So for, before I give you any advice, because you know, I'm in a position <laughs> to give advice. Thank you, Jihee, for this wonderful interview. But honestly, I'm just humbled by the opportunity. And um, if you encounter this practice, you have this big opportunity to discover something very deep, right? And so, of course, your resistance will try to sway you, even with good stuff. Like I've seen people chanting for, you know, a girlfriend and then they got the girlfriend and they're out. You know, I'm good now. I'm good now. But this is not about being good now. It's about our purpose on earth. So it's something very, very big, right? And so you're going to have obstacles and you're going to have reasons to stop practicing or thinking it's not for you. And so my advice is before you do that, make sure of two things. That you chant consistently, whatever amount you decide for a good three months, just to see what that does, the chanting. And then you read and make an effort to read from Daisaku Ikeda. So you see what the mentor in this practice is saying and if those concepts resonate, if, if it empowers you. And so basically, before you walk away, make sure you know about chanting and about Daisaku Ikeda for you to say, I know what this practice is and it's not for me, right? But I've seen many youth over the years um, walk away before they knew either, you know? And, and it's not because they're shallow or because whatever, but it's because just like in my case, I was trying to walk away and I needed to the fortune to meet another person living upstairs. The practice is that dragged me to meetings. And then I had the fortune to meet this Portuguese girl in London that convinced me. So someone else has got to have conviction for you. That's why I always appreciate the courage to share the practice we, you know, sometimes we want to respect people, give them their space, but sometimes that respect is just an easy choice. It's not about respect. If you really respect their life, make sure they can try this practice for real, at least once, at least for three months, you know, for them to say, it's not for me, right? So that's my biggest advice. You encountered a diamond, you're at sea and it's floating next to you. Don't let it float away. Mm. Hold on to the diamond have an experience with it. And if it's not the diamond you want, then that's good. We're human beings. We'll always love you 
but make sure you know what it is. I want to leave you with some words from Ikeda that are in our bootability guide to self-love, and I feel really capture what Luca's story conveyed today. The guide is also linked in the show notes. Ikeda writes, Happiness is not something that someone else, like a lover, can give to us. We have to achieve it for ourselves. And the only way to do so is by developing our character and capacity as human beings, by fully maximizing our potential. If we sacrifice our growth and talent for love, we absolutely will not find happiness. True happiness is obtained through fully realizing our potential. I'll add here that this kind of happiness that comes from a deep sense of self and fulfillment is something you can really see in people and one of the reasons I love being part of a Buddhist community. Of course, in the quote, Ikeda is referring to not seeking for that kind of happiness from a lover, but I think it applies just as much to our careers or anything external that we might be trying to base our happiness on. On that note, as always, if you want to get in touch or learn about your local Buddhist community, you can email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.